set, and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm just supposed to do this and figure it out. And then when I did, it really felt like it was just luck, and that my characters were holding on, like, like they were, like, you get three members initially, one was dead, the other two had, like, six HP, and I was just like, I don't really feel like I did that because I figured something out, I feel like I just happened to survive after throwing myself at the problem enough times, so. I guess this game slapped me on the nose with a newspaper, is what I'm saying. Anyway, if since we've been talking about Xenoblade Chronicles for the last however long, uh, this must be the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Kyle. Hi, and I'm and I'm Nick. And the fact that Kyle is starting the show means that I have descended into such a disgustingly nerdy spiral that Kyle felt he had to stop it. I so- did. I was like, this isn't. It's like I gotta, I gotta pull us out from the. It's like Inception. Time to kick the chair. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing, lovely audience. Uh, I was talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I'm going to end talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. That's just where my brain's at right now. Uh, but Well, before I forget, I was going to say just to, Oh, I'll finish what you were going to say. I was gonna, but we do, uh, for the most part, talk about the uh, television series, The Big Bang Theory on the show. Uh, we, we pick apart the episodes. Today we'll be doing Season 6, Episode 10, which is officially titled The Fish Guts Displacement. But most often we get distracted by things we'd rather be doing. So I'd Kyle, say it's, it's 50-50 talking about the Big Bang Theory at best. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's But, you know, the worse our track record is, the more people enjoy the show. So hooray for that. Uh, Kyle, do you want to dive into this, baby? Do you have any other pre-episode business that we, we should discuss? No, I think I think we can go ahead and get started. Let's do it. I'm telling you right now, uh, I when I put these episodes online i pick the episode names pretty arbitrarily like usually some phrase that is very loosely attached to something that happened in the episode so tangential it usually doesn't make sense uh this one i'm telling you right now is going to be called horny munchausen syndrome because that's <laughs> that's really what's going on here but we have to get to that and we start with uh, all the all the boy nerds, uh, though this does feature the whole cast. It's not just a boy episode, but all the boy nerds uh, are hanging out, playing cards in the. Uh, I think they're in the apartment uh, and uh, or the university cafeteria. It doesn't matter wherever they are. Uh, and Sheldon starts asking uh, uh, about his. Well, he brings up his frustration with the Spider-Man theme song because Spider-Man doesn't actually have all the powers of a spider. And that will be in and out throughout the episode. It's not that really important. He also makes a weird uh, kind of racist joke about burying one of their, like, <laughs> I think a colleague, a colleague who is Chinese. And uh, Sheldon was trying to think of, like, fun party banter to bring up. Uh, he says he uses it when he wants to connect with people of uh, lower intellectual status than he and one of his examples is to bring up the differences between spiders and Spider-Man. Uh, but also, um, the example he gives, Wallowitz, which I had in my brain five seconds ago, and it's disappearing right now. Oh, Kyle, can you help me with this? He talks about it, the dad with it. Oh, oh it's the, the China... Th- not... Oh, no, it's not the yes. one he brings up. It's No, the, it's the medium one, which is Sheldon. He's another example of, you know, there's not anywhere actually on the earth that you could dig straight through... 
come around upside down and end up in China. Uh, you know, h- hilarious old myth busted. Uh, and then Sheldon, uh, when uh, Amy and he are going to be going to this this colleague's funeral, uh, says, oh, at the funeral you can bring that up uh, and then people can stop like being upset about it when you let them know that no matter how deep they bury him, he's not going back to China. Weird. That's all. Moving on. Um, the B-plot is Wallowitz has to hang out with Bernadette's parents for a dinner, and he does, and Bernadette is like, hey, you know what would be cool? If you went fishing with my dad. And he and the dad are both like, that would not be cool. But we have small, quiet, blonde women who absolutely have 100% control over our fates, and they're going to force us together. Uh, and just to wrap up the B-plot, because it's pretty inconsequential, it ends with Wallowitz and the dad meeting in the morning to go fishing, and uh, both admitting that they were goaded into it, don't really want to do it, and they decide to go to a uh, casino on the nearby res for the weekend instead. Uh, medium part is that... Um, Wallowitz in trying to prepare for the fishing trip uh, needs someone appropriately manly to help him and that's when all the boy nerds go to Penny uh, who teaches them how to uh, hook a worm and gut a fish because of her her rich Nebraskan heritage um, Do you know how to gut a fish Nick? Because I was thinking about who would I turn to if I needed to know and you are you are from that part of the world I am from that part of the world and I have fished I have caught a fish and eaten it, and I have no practical idea how to do it. It's, I know that you need to do it. I know the basics, but uh, I think I would fall trapped to the thing Penny points out as a risk of if you poke in the wrong place, blood will spray all over your face. I don't know if it's true. I like to think it is. Uh, what about you? Can you gut one of them suckers? I absolutely, I, I could... I mean, if you're if you're asking me, would I feel uh, would I feel comfortable doing it, or would I feel queasy? Oh God, would I love to do it? I'd feel so alive. But if you're asking me, do I know how? No, not at all. So, <laughs> for me, I'm like, I'm not sure I would know how, and I'm worried I'd fuck it up. And you're like, I don't care that I know how, so long as I get to destroy a fish. Yeah, I'm that guy who, when I was a, uh, this is a true. St- Kyle over sharing please, life Please story don't moment. tell me about child animal abuse if that's what's about to happen here. <laughs> Not with a living animal, obviously, Nick. Come on. <laughs> please continue. No, it was uh, it was uh, when we were dissecting frogs. I was terrible at it, but I did, you know, uh, you know, I did uh, basically get to a point where it was like, well, the experiment's done, so you can do what I was like. Let's just. Chop off this thing's limb, see what happens, see how hard it is to hack through a frog leg. Turns out it's pretty hard. Yeah. Um, We had to dissect frogs my freshman year of high school. And I had to do a bunch of dissecting in middle school, in high school, but working with a pig heart, like having to handle and poke through a pig heart is the thing that made me almost faint. That was like... My very first experience with starting to pass out, I was just hanging out in class and things kind of start to go dark and you're, you're, you start to hear a thrumming in your ears. And I did not pass out and hit, hit the floor, fortunately. But uh, yeah, I guess um, if you ever need help with the inner workings of a pig heart, I'm not your guy. No, I don't think I'm actually that. I, you know, first off, can we go back and talk about the second where you thought I was going to reveal that maybe I'd like, you know, 
been Jeffrey Dahmering my way through like the local birds and wildlife. Not not my... Jeffrey Dahmering. I feel like if you were into torturing animals, we'd have talked about it by now. But I was worried that maybe you were about to reveal a moment in your childhood where you you had a path with two different uh, forks and. You could have chosen darkness by accidentally killing a rabbit and making some big, important decisions right after that. But no, that's not what it was. No, 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 no. Sorry. Sorry to, sorry to spike your adrenaline this early in the day. Uh, no, but also, I don't want to make it sound like I'm actually that co- – it's like you know, animals don't freak me out, but I have a friend who's a nurse and just – them describing the kind of shit they see in their day it's like oh i could never do that no also also i went to the doctor the other day and i had my blood drawn for like the first time in years and years just because it was you know it was you know it's like you haven't had a checkup in forever we should do some blood work i was like oh that's right i do i still get incredibly incredibly queasy having my own blood drawn i don't know what that is but uh I don't mind, you know, if I get a cut or something, it doesn't freak me out that bad. But the idea of some doctor bastard stealing my blood with his needles and tubes makes me almost faint every single time. You know what uh, freaks me out about it is, like, I'm a lot better about it than I used to be. Hey, thanks for sticking with this audience. Um, But, uh... We'll cut this part out. No, we won't. But what freaks me out is not, like, having it drawn out of me, which is gross, but... Like, I really like to think of my body as a closed system. And yes. then when someone can just, like, put a tool in it and to be like, oh, wait, I'm all up in you now. I can steal your fluids and just leave because you are not as tightly sewn together as you might imagine. That's, like, when in my in my dirtier punk rock days, my friends and I we had a, a, a while there where we were all going in to sell plasma. And knowing that my blood was going through a machine and a centrifuge and like putting back into my body is just pure body horror for me. Oh god. Yeah, the room is spinning. We have to change the subject. Well, let's let's go back to the actual show, I guess. Uh and to veer awkwardly back into our A plot. The idea of going to the memorial for the colleague Falls apart almost immediately when Sheldon, go- Sheldon goes to pick up Amy, or get picked up by Amy, I guess. And um, she's ill. She has the flu or whatever. But she's obviously, you know, person on television and cartoon levels of sick where she looks like a zombie and has sores on her face and, like, will absolutely steal the life out of any babies that come within, like, 15 miles or whatever. And Sheldon tries to bail on her because he is uh, a callous robot, but she does enforce the relationship agreement, which obligates him to take care of her. And the summary of the A-plot is that Sheldon does a good, not great job taking care of her. Good enough, you could say. But that uh, his offers, or his insistence, actually, on rubbing um, VapoRub all over her chest and giving her baths uh, makes her so ridiculously horny and excited that she continues faking to be sick so she can just be taken care of. Um, and it ends with Sheldon catching wise to her scheme because at some point while she was sleeping, he took a cheek swab from her 
and was able to verify that she did not have any infections in her blood uh, other than that of, I don't know, lying disease, Pinocchioism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the, the episode ends with a stinger of um, they have agreed that for her ruse, Sheldon must punish her, punish her in that he will do so by, by spanking her bottom. And as we cut to credits, Amy is bent over Sheldon's knee, squealing in delight as he barehand paddles her bottom. What is this show? <laughs> yes. It's grown up fast. I'm not ready. I'm, uh, I, I, you know, when in like season one or two, I remember being blown away when I can't remember if it was a relative. It was like Sheldon's cousin or whatever, the actor. And he had the line about like, uh, an old priest shoving his gin-pickled tongue down his throat, and I was like, this show may be nastier than I thought. But that was like, that stood out as a weird, over-like-the-top thing. And now, absolutely, Penny and Amy are just playing weird sex games, and and Amy is, uh, like, it's, she's, upsettingly horny like she's been, like her defining trait up to this point has been her um uh, in unsated lust but like she is like bursting out of her skin with horniness in this episode yes. and it's it's a lot i would say yes between uh between um this and the uh hypno blowjob scene from the other week i'm telling you man there's there's one horny writer who's responsible for all of this. I don't know who it is, but yeah, I think maybe in the writers' room, uh, among the the top brass there for who got to be showrunners, they do um, a round robin or something. So there's no hard feelings as the series goes on, and that meant that if they made it to a certain number of seasons, inevitably. Dirty Greg was going to be the showrunner. And the writers can do what they want to try to keep it wholesome, but at the end of the day, Dirty Greg's going to get what he wants. Dirty Greg's got season six, his, his filthy fingerprints all over it. This is the dark season. Yeah, and like season seven, it's going to veer back like hard into wholesomeness to where it's going to seem like... <laughs> like there will be no Christian undertones, but it'll be like... This has to be Christian, right? Like, nothing can be this pure and good. But that's only after Dirty Greg had his way with it. Yeah, that's I don't know. True. It's... I don't know. Like, I, I, I really blasted through the plots in this one. But not because I wanted to be totally dismissive of this episode. I didn't hate it. I just... Uh, I felt like I needed to get to the end so quickly and then work backwards. Because it was just... Yeah, so much been, for me to process. You, you had to get that out of the way. I get it. I get it. Um, also, you made so the first horny thing is that uh, is that uh, Amy gets turned on by Sheldon applying vapor rub to her chest. Yes, uh, and that's that's what sort of starts the starts the spiral. Also, good on Amy. Can I just say as a character for not playing the "How dare you steal my biological data" card? Because I hate that when people like try to gaslight you for like. You know, it's like, yes, I was pretending to be sick, but you had no right to steal my DNA to prove it. Which might be true in real life, but in a show would have just totally derailed the plot. 
Yeah, I think Sholin is lucky that he's dating someone who is um, comfortable with genetics and not particularly precious about her DNA. <laughs> so That's true. Um, yeah, that, that, that does not turn into a big fight at all. That's, that's the thing, too, is like, it was, I didn't think about it at the time, but thinking about it now, it's refreshing that this didn't lead to a fight with them. Like, it led to the horniest, weirdest thing on the show yet, but it is nice that, like, they didn't have to have a fight about privacy or boundaries or whatever because they're both just like, yeah, we're weird nerds. This is fine. You got me. I guess I need a spanking. Now, I don't want to... Hmm. I will give you the horniest thing on the show yet. Is it actually the weirdest thing? Nah, it doesn't. We don't have to get into it. We've already got into it, Kyle. I'm just... I guess I'm feeling a little defensive. I, I, in a weird bit of You're irony, about to identify something hornier. No, I was just, it was a weird moment, uh, yeah, watching this episode, because I had literally just finished spanking someone, and so we were like, what are the odds of the timing on this? This is, this is wild. If this is how we're doing things now, that it's Dirty Greg season, Kyle, <laughs> um, I'll tell you that I had a bit, maybe I told you about this before, but a bit about how I'm not comfortable choking people during sex mostly because i just don't feel like i'm ready for that level of responsibility and i've abandoned it because one night a couple of months ago somebody else also had a bit about their discomfort with choking during sex and i was just like what is the world coming to none of us can escape all the all the filthy kink in this i Man, when I grew up, I saw a boob in my fucking hair would catch fire. Now, now it's all this slapping and prodding. Oh, good grief. I just want to go to a sock hop and have a malt, Kyle. Just, just, uh, you know the movie uh, Walk Hard, which is unironically my favorite uh, music biopic, even though it's It, a it is good. <laughs> yes. I, I'm this? familiar. I love the bit in that where he's singing Take My Hand and everybody just loses their minds because it's so filthy. That's what you sound like right now. <laughs> that's that's what this world has become, Kyle. <laughs> All around me. Fornication. Um Well, to get back to the episode, like this is a weird one where I don't have a lot to complain about. I mean I I guess I'd like having they put rub put on my my chest also i don't know how horny i'd get i guess it depends uh something kyle maybe correct me on this if i have it wrong was this first ever bernadette's mom appearance or has she been on the show before no i think that's i think that's right that we've never met her before because yeah she was weird and peculiar and we definitely had met bernadette's dad before yes but this was, I think, the first time being the mom. And can I say, really kind of nailed the... I mean, I don't see many women like that in like in California that I have met. But like you, mean, that, you mean people married to cops? <laughs> that's true. But no, but like the, the, like, the like super quiet, like slightly like, you know, are they on, are they on Valium all the time? Or are they just always like this like housewife sort of vibe? But uh, you mean people married to cops? <laughs> I would just say I've definitely meet, met women like that in other parts of the country. Yeah, it's uh, it was like 
for a moment when her her voice, Bernadette's mom's voice. Wait, first do you mean heard. people married to cops just because you know trained by the statistics on police and domestic abuse? Is that what you mean? That is exactly what I mean, Kyle. <laughs> Which I, I was trying to remember what it is like. Forty percent of it's domestic, high. It's it's, high, it's very high. It's very very high. Yes. Fun fun fact for all of you at home. But so when she first appears, like. You only see the back of her head, and then you hear her voice, and I was like, is this how they're not going to make her mom a character? And then, no, she shows up. Uh, And, yeah, she is super quiet, very friendly, like Bernadette, but gives, like, one-word answers to things. And I was a little bummed out that she wasn't weirder. Um, Maybe that will come. I I felt like there was reference to her family situation always being very tense, and I was disappointed by how normal it was. Aside from the dad, you know, continuing to be gruff. But even that doesn't lead to anything. He goes to Vegas with, well, not Vegas, but like to a casino with Wallowitz and Yeah, and that yeah. was actually my favorite moment of the show was, uh, I don't know why, but just like, I think it was just the line delivery because he's like, how good are you? Because, you know, he's this, he, he's a very realistic looking uh, man who used to be a cop and that he's just fucking huge and yeah and, gravelly and, and looks like a potato and looks like all and looks like you know all of the therapy that he never had is bundled directly into his shoulder blades like drawing them closer into his neck um but uh he's like yeah how good are you at, he's like are you any good at craps and Wallowitz is like well no but i do know a thing or two about dice games i was like oh god this is going to be a dungeons and dragons joke but it wasn't a dungeons and dragons joke it was a yahtzee joke because he was the he was the uh yahtzee champion at the local synagogue when he was a kid and having said that the dad just looks at him and goes mazel tov just like <laughs> that was nice just like no just like no just like the way you'd be saying like rock on you know, between that and the Amy Sheldon ending, I feel like this has been overall a refreshing episode in that... It's been wholesome. Yeah, like there were there were forced conflicts, but in, in all the conflicts, everyone's kind of like, yeah, I guess we came to a mutual understanding. It's like, oh, hey, <laughs> cool. Ah, <sighs> I, I am trying to dwell on this one more but i'm struggling i'm i am almost ready i'm basically ready to move on to nerdy things but kyle anything else you want to bring up uh um uh no all right well with that uh super energized transition tell us more about xenoblade chronicles nick i happily will does that mean you want me to go first Yes. So here's where we, uh, every other week uh, that we record, we we talk about things that we actually enjoy and would recommend you uh, check out in addition to or instead of uh, this this dang old TV show. And yes, I um, I am deep into Xenoblade Chronicles three, the newest of the. Xenoblade games that just came out on Switch about a week ago and I won't talk about the plot much because it is so new and it is full of twists and turns and for me I went in knowing nothing and I really appreciated doing that uh, I, I think I saw one super vague trailer and left it alone at that um, 
but I think well, the- can you at least say is this is this a direct sequel to Xenoblade Chronicles and Xenoblade Chronicles Two? Like, or is it is it like one of those hundreds of years after kind of things? Not that I played that one. More the latter, but I'm not sure yet because. So yeah, this is the third game, and there, you know, you need at least three. You need at least three points of data before you can establish a pattern. And here, I think the game is starting to show patterns, at least. Where, um, to answer your question, I don't actually know because I do not think it is a direct sequel to either game so far, but. It contains so many either direct references or allusions to the other two games that I'm still wondering if it's going to tie them all together somehow. Um, That said, that would be speculative, and up to this point, it really is just like themes. And and what I was going to say, well, I guess basic plot to get it out of the way, and I think I can reveal this much because that all happens with like the first hour or two. is that your your primary character among the the six that you have in your gang um, is Noah. And Noah grows up in a world where he and everyone he knows serve as basically child soldiers with a 10-year lifespan. And one day, as fate would, would have it happen, Noah finds himself brave enough to ask, isn't it weird that we're all child soldiers with a 10-year lifespan? Doesn't that seem a little crazy? And then, boy, what an adventure ensues. Um, But the thing that really stands out to me with this game that I was starting to feel in the last one, I'm pretty sure I brought up when I recommended the last game. Oh, excuse me. You're fine. Um, Is that this game, this game series is what Final Fantasy should have become. Like, it's like, if this is where, if Final Fantasy had not gone into the direction of how many zippers can we put on a being before it's just a zipper, um, and instead shifted into staying focused on, like, character-driven, like, actual central plots with storytelling games which sounds like such a a lowball criticism but like with final fantasy 15 the last main series game like i played that entire game i I messed around with some of the dlc i still couldn't tell you what the hell that game is actually about it's it's about some handsome boys that like to drive around yeah, it's about Florence and Florence and the Machine singing "Stand by Me." Oh God, yeah, it being the cheapest emotional punch, incredibly effective. But uh, yeah, and I've I've learned more about that game since, and how like it really was apparently just a completely unfinished mess. That like one of the big bosses, one of the the better encounters in the entire game, that was this this dragon in a weird old castle, and apparently that dragon was like a a default asset that came with the uh, software development package that they, <laughs> they didn't even make the dragon. They just took it from their, their program and plugged it into the game. So that's, that's how final fantasy has been doing. Xenoblade Chronicles on the other hand starts with this really weird pedigree of like the, the franchise has been around for like, th- like 25 years or something now. 
Uh, I've only really played these last few games because I thought the other ones were kind of boring and weird. <laughs> but um, like this newest one, it's yeah, it's it's character driven. Um, it the, one of the the tiny criticisms I have, but it, had, it gave me a weird association as I, I started thinking about Midnight Mass, the TV show, because uh, it has a lot of cutscenes, but the cutscenes never feel superfluous. Like all of your side quests and like, I think literally every NPC in the game has their own little life and story. And it's not like, you know, a fully fleshed out world where you could follow somebody on their whole day and watch them do whatever. But, like, every person you interact with, there are no just, like, nameless people that just repeat the same line over and over again. Um, and so, though I kind of wish gameplay were better integrated into the cutscenes so there were fewer of them At the same time it's not really a problem because it is all quality and i think one of the last things that would separate a game like this from final fantasy is you know some basic gameplay mechanics these xenoblade games really focus on uh even though you have a whole party you're ever only controlling one character at a time and you input their actions in real time as gauges uh you know, increase to allow them to take an action, and there's even a, a rhythm element to it where you chain attacks together, and that's satisfying. Uh, but guess what? It's got a job system now. Hey, it's Final Fantasy, everybody. <laughs> it's You pick different character classes, and when you pick a class, you can use abilities from the last class if you learn them. It's it's just a fucking Final Fantasy game. And I don't say that in a negative way. No, you love Final Fantasy games I do. before a prior point in the series. So. Yes, and uh, it's great. Incredibly high praise. I, I love it. And like, it's in this weird spot as far as like whatever the target demographic is. Because hey, everyone, I'm a 38 year old man. It ain't me, or is it? Um, it's 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 one of these things that I think like if I were 14, it would probably blow my fucking mind. Um, but it has that. It's. It has that, like, cool, I guess, anime way of dealing with, like, really heavy stuff, but in kind of <laughs> nonetheless cute, wholesome way that doesn't completely destroy your heart. Like, I was playing this morning and watched a scene of a mass execution and was like, I understand the weight of that. Uh, I'm not laughing at it. Uh, but, uh, boy, I'm really excited to go make some cupcakes as soon as it's over. <laughs> That's, it hasn't brought down my whole day watching these people's uh, comrades be brutally murdered. <laughs> and I like that mood. So, uh, yeah, it's... like my, I think the only real caveat I have is it is a JRPG. If you don't like JRPGs, you're not going to like it because you walk around and you put in commands and it's it's not turn-based, but... You know, it's not a full-blown action game either. You've got to wait for gauges to fill, and it's 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 a JRPG. It's not an action game. But if you like JRPGs, this really feels like... I don't know. I'm a little sad. I almost feel like this feels like the end of the Switch's life cycle because the game is trying to do things that I think the Switch can't quite handle. Uh, but... In the same time, it's nice because it really feels like this is a pinnacle slash remix of the last couple games, and that like putting them all together uh, as far as JRPGs go has made like the Omega JRPG. <laughs> I really, awesome. I really that, love it. That's awesome, man. Uh, I don't 
because I am obviously not – I'm not asking this because I would ever do it because I just don't have the 300 hours of my life to give. But, uh, I mean, you never know. Maybe if I get in a car accident and both my legs are crushed. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if that happens, should I – would you recommend someone start with Xeno – who is interested in the Xenoblade Chronicle series, start with this one? Or is the appreciation – I mean, I know what you would do, but for a layperson, would you recommend, no, start with Xenoblade Chronicles and work your way through to Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Um, hard to say because it's Xenoblade Chronicles 2, from what I understand, is like the low point in the series, and I still love that game. I started to say, but you played that game through like twice. Yeah, it is also gigantic. It's, I think the thing is that like, I would start with the first Xenoblade Chronicles game because that's what got me into it. And that's because I never played it when it came out on the Wii. Um, And they made this HD remake of it that came out in just the last year or two. And I was like, I guess I'll finally see what these Xenoblade games are about. Totally got me into it. Ended up falling in love with it. And that's when I started Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It actually came out before the re-release of the first game. And I was like boy, this feels like a step back. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get into this one. Um, and the beginning is pretty rough and slow. That's actually probably a fair criticism of the current game, too. But it, it absolutely wormed its way into my heart. And so I'd say the second isn't necessary. The first is the way to start. And if that is in any way up your alley, the third one... Like, to me, it really... Well, I was going to say it really feels like the Mega Man games, but, like, no one should play the first Mega Man game because it'll just make you want to kill yourself because it's so difficult. Um, But, um, yeah, I don't know. You can dive into this third one, but if you play the first one, when you you play the third one, you're going to be like, oh, I recognize this character or this thing or whatever. It's like the Final Fantasy games. Like, you know, it's... The, the trade-off of knowing all the references might not be worth playing the early ones, but I think the first or the third are both totally great ways to go. And the second one, uh, if you nasty. That's that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's just weird to think that in the... Because, you know, Xenoblade is the technically... The, it's not canonically, but it's like it, the Xeno franchise... Uh, I never, I never played any of the Xenogears games. I know nothing about them, but I remember when like everybody was like, you know, you can play your silly Final Fantasies or your Fantasy Stars if you want, but if you want the real shit, you gotta play these Xenosaga games. And I hadn't put two and two together that like technically that's you know this is a continuation of that same franchise. Um, I mean, I know it's not, I know it's not the continuation in the sense that like, uh, that like. Um, they're set in the same continuity or maybe even no, made by I, the same people. I, I know what you mean, that they're, they're part of like the same bigger intellectual. Brand. Yeah. No, I, I have the same thing. Like I, uh, not until maybe finishing the first game, did I realize only by doing, you know, Wikipedia research that they were actually the same thing because they are such different games because I never really played Xenogears much. Uh, and then, I, the Xeno Saga games, which started on the PS2, I played some of the first one of that, and I was like, this is slow and boring. I don't think I'm into this. And you're right. At the time, it was like, mm, this is the thinking man's RPG. And it's like, well, it's 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 where the world is accepted that cutscenes are 
that that games can also be movies. <laughs> but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I wasn't ready for it at the time. Um and yeah, these uh these new ones though, I really thought the Xeno naming convention was just coincidence. I was like I thought someone else just thought Xeno sounded cool and was a good way to start a franchise, but yeah, no, it's all the same thing somehow. And I mean it's the same the the Monolith Soft, which made Xeno Saga, made Xenoblades, and it's the same main director. I'm looking it up now. Uh, Tetsuya Takahashi, who originally, yes, he worked at, he worked on Final Fantasy VI, and then he mm. sub- Xeno Gears was originally apparently supposed to be Final Fantasy VII. But it, yeah, were, but it was gonna. Like, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. But it was. It was, gonna, it was gonna be a. It was going to be a story scenario in Final Fantasy VII, yeah, that didn't end up making it into the game and got rejected. And so this guy was like, I'll go make my own game. And now here we are, you know, 25 years later. But yeah, you're right. It is, I mean, in its DNA, I think you're right to identify. This is like a weird, it's a weird genetic offshoot of the Final Fantasy series that has become its own thing. Uh, and that it's definitely... Definitely designed by people with pretensions to make, uh, you know, a particular kind of advanced JRPG. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I will say I remember trying to play Xenogrades, Xeno Saga and being like, this game is, I mean, the animation is cool and the story seems cool, but this is so much harder than Final Fantasy. The buttons and the timing and everything are much more complicated. And we're jumping in and out of mechs? How am I supposed to figure this out? Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is like this new one... Uh, Definitely not too hard. Like, on normal difficulty, absolutely playable. Like I said, when I started on hard, it was it was indeed masochistic, and I didn't like it. Uh, it does suffer from the problem of all JRPGs, which is, um, even if you don't cash in your bonus experience that you get from doing, like, completing side quests, just doing the side quests and the enemies you kill along the way will over-level you. And so... I'm occasionally putting it on hard because I'm going through these areas I'm just way too strong for and feel like I still want to fight something. But anyway, I've, we've gone on about this way too long. Please, we should talk about your thing that you like. Well, it, I mean, it just it makes me want to... Did I ever tell you about what my favorite JRPG of all time was that I never that I've never gotten to finish because it does... it Like all JRPGs, I eventually get to a point where I'm like, I am not playing the last you know, 20 hours of grinding to finish this, to see, just to get to the final boss and see the last cutscene. But I, I don't know if it was your favorite, but was it the, the actual ending of Dragon Quest 11? No, or? no, no. I, did, I did like Dragon Quest a lot, but it's not that one either. It was a game that was on the PS2 that was, ironically, it was made by Bandai, who also published uh, Xenosaga, and... But whenever I look it up and try to see who any of the developers were or anything, there's basically no information I can find on this game. So if any of those people went on to work on other things or were working on other things before it, uh, I have no idea. Which is crazy because the the gameplay was so good. Um, and it was like it was like a real JRPG, which is funny because it was it was technically a um, uh, a license game. It was a Gundam game. Oh. Um, so there was a there was a Gundam game called MS Saga: A New Dawn, which was the only MS Saga game. Uh, MS stands for Mobile Suit, and and it was literally a JRPG set in a world where hu- a, 
where humanity had almost destroyed itself using giant robots called mobile suits. Uh, and then it in the and uh, but you know humanity had risen from the ashes in classic JRPG fashion. So the world was now you know mixed technology levels, but you know sort of uh, you know more agrarian and stuff. But people are slowly rediscovering how to build mobile suits and finding ancient mobile suit designs and all of those. um, And so you uh, it's a JRPG where instead of being soldiers, you pilot mobile suits Um, and the mobile suits are all based on or are all directly tied into various uh, anime uh, in the, from various Gundam TV shows and movies, Uh, but not even one continuity. So, you know, you, there are, there are, classic universal century Gundam mechs that you start out with, but there are also Gundam wing mechs and there are also uh, mobile fighter Gundam mechs that appear throughout the game. And what was, I think what blew my, so first off again, this game had like a full plot and everything else. Like there was a real story that used a lot of uh, Gundam tropes to keep it going, but was still its own thing outside of the continuity. But um, what really rocked me about this game was that you were the pilots and the pilots were who leveled up throughout the game. Um, so if you wanted to unlock new skills for your characters, you know, you had to grind them and level them up and that would unlock special abilities that they each had. But in combat, you were piloting the mobile suits and the mobile suits were based on schematics and designs that you would discover throughout the game. And then you could customize them with parts of other mobile suits. So it was entirely possible to build, to like mount any weaponry or any um, like body parts that you could fit into like each each mobile suit frame came with its own like basic grid and then all of the weapons and armaments um like had to be manipulated like grid in, sort of like in Diablo if you ever remember that you had the to build manip- inventory system yeah you had to you had to be able to fit the customizations onto the grid that for each particular mobile suit and more advanced mobile suits had larger grids but more heavy weaponry took up more of the grid to use and so you could mount like you know, like 15 different guns and cannons on a thing if you wanted. And and then some of the pilots, they had special moves that they would, like their limit breaks would allow them to fire every single gun on their body, um, you know, simultaneously as a special action. Um, and that was the other thing is there was a weird time, like basically every round your character like gained an initiative slot. So if you just wanted to like do a single, so if you just wanted to do like a basic melee or ranged attack, that was like one initiative slot. But if you wanted to use some special move, it would might take two or three or four or five or whatever. Um, So there were all sorts of like deep tactical ways to like customize the mobile suits and then use them uh, to the, to their biggest advantage. And there were a whole bunch of different pilots that you could load up. So it was, it felt by my standards an incredibly uh, complicated and strategic game. And also, I just loved, yeah, I love building these weird, you know, Frankenstein mechs and sending them out into battle to, like, crush things. So I really, I thought that was an amazing game. And I can't believe that, um, well, I get why um, they only ever made one in the Gundam universe. The idea was so good. This idea where you're, you know, you're, you're an JRPG where you're piloting custom, uh, infinitely customizable and variable mechs. I'm so surprised that no one ever did like a spiritual sequel, like, you know, with just, you know, unlicensed mechs or something like that, because it was just so good. 
There has to be something like that because, like, everything you're describing sounds great, and yeah, is all stuff that, like, especially the way that you're you're talking about equipping the mechs. Like, I've heard of systems like that, and I enjoy that, and that there is a game that yeah does that specifically for mech fighting. I I don't know. I know that like from Soft, you know, the Dark Souls guys have made a whole bunch of armored core games. I don't know if any of them are any similar to that experience but yeah to have something that would match that would be delightful well you should if you uh i mean i know you don't have a ps2 i don't know how we where we are in the world of ps2 emulation these days but if you can uh if you can get your hands on a ps2 emulator i would recommend you check that one out and because these gundam game names are always usually very complicated could you please repeat whatever it was actually called well, it's funny because, and I think this was part of they didn't want to get too deep in the weeds of the licensing because this game came out when Gundam was just not that big in the West. It's actually not called Gundam. It's called MS Saga. Oh, right, from Mobile Suit, right? Right. Okay. So, Mobile Suit Saga. Yeah. <sighs> so, that'll be my recommendation, I guess. A game uh, like a, a 25, however, I mean, I don't even, however long ago the PS2 was. A PS2 game that uh, I don't think there's currently any way to obtain or play on any system. Without... <laughs> That's how you know it's real nerd shit. Here's a game you'd love that you're never going to get to play. Uh, and when, when you're talking about this, I was thinking too of a Panzer Dragoon Saga and how apparently yeah you can get you can get a physical copy of the game on Amazon for three hundred dollars. Oh, I uh, that was one of the first games. Uh, that was my only. Dream, not Dreamcast, um, Saturn emulating experience. And uh, I'm glad that it worked out because that game is, in fact, incredible. It's just a bummer that, yeah, the only way that I or anyone else will ever reasonably be able to play it is to have to rely on, you know, shady internet sources. But that's the state of gaming. That's how it goes. Go play old games, make them cool, everybody. Play, play mobile suit games. Get attention. Amen. Bye. <laughs>